Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henry. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Well, as we get started uh, this morning, uh, it's going to be kind of the too many sermons, so d- double bonus this morning. So, yeah. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. The first thing that I want to speak into this morning is should we as Christians celebrate Halloween? And so as we, you know, embark on this holiday every year, that, that question kind of arises, you know, how do we interact? I read an article this week. It was a public school teacher who asked a question in her classroom of, you know, how, how would you want to celebrate Halloween? And, and it was a classroom full of nine-year-olds and 80% responded that they would like to see uh, a sacrifice. Sacrifice of animals and participate in a seance. And so what I want us to recognize is that the occult is in overdrive in our culture today. And there are so many things that, um, that are doors into the occult. And those things, perhaps in and of themselves, are portrayed as harmless or innocent or not that big a deal. or So many doors to attract. And, and they're that way on purpose because they're meant to whet the appetite. They're meant to put your defenses down so that you walk further in. And they have targeted our kids. And listen, uh, look around. They're, they're winning. Things like Ouija boards or um, the video games or the reality games, uh, they seem innocent in and of themselves, or even the Enneagram test. uh, uh, All that stuff is inspired by demons. Straight up, if you read it, the people who design it are straight up being informed by demonic forces. Witchcraft is everywhere. It's all over kids' books and kids' media. And and the reality is the number of witches' covens would shock you that are even in our area. And so given the present age, and so listen, you know, there are There is a reason that Halloween is 
Is it bigger than Christmas or closer to be bigger than Christmas? I'm not sure what the stat is, but it keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. And listen, it's not because people are more in love with Jesus. It is not because our culture is in love with the light. But we love the darkness. And so there's a group that celebrates the darkness and then there's the group that makes light of the darkness that simply opens the door for them to enter into more darkness because they've they just make light of it now if this was the 40s or the 50s and the occult was still so much or mostly in the closet I'm not sure that I'd feel so compelled to speak. But given the present darkness in which we live and given the fact that, listen, we, we must be different in this culture. We must be people of the light. And we must protect, protect our kids most of all. We need to rethink how we engage culture. And we engage culture by being worshipers of Jesus. We engage culture by walking in the light, not by participating in darkness. Not by going along to get along. Not by making light of things that offend the heart of God. And so let me just give you two principles from God's Word to think about in relation to Halloween, in relation to conversations that you have, and in relations to maybe even talking to your kids about why you as a family are doing what you're doing. First of all, 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, take a look on the screen, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Some translations say beneficial. Some translations say profitable. That's the idea. That is ultimately, there's not a Bible verse that says thou shalt not trick or treat. But the Bible gives even better things. It doesn't give a bunch of dumb rules like that. It calls you to a higher principle of living. And that is, yeah, you have the freedom to do that. There's a lot of things you can do, but it doesn't mean that's the wisest thing to do or the best thing to do given the moment in which you are living. You see, the Bible doesn't call us to make decisions whether it's fun or boring, whether it's legal or not, whether there's a moral law or not. It says, listen, do what is best. Do what is wise. Do what pleases Jesus. Different standard. We're making decisions down here. God's God's like, what? I'm not giving you a bunch of rules. Do, Do this. The second one I would point you to is in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, which very clearly tells us to abstain from every form of evil. And Halloween has unfortunately become 
a form of evil again. It's not on the increase because people love Jesus more. Let's quit kidding ourselves. It isn't innocent anymore. And so I encourage you, listen, look for alternatives. You know, have fun with your family. Do something different. You know, have some fun with your small group. You can even do a fun dress up. There are a lot of alternative things you can do. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have fun with the family. I'm not saying you shouldn't do. Just detach it completely away from Halloween and attach it to how much you love each other as a family and how much you want to celebrate Jesus. Okay, second sermon. (laughs) The second thing that I wanted to lean into today was give you a little bit of a prophecy update on what is happening in the Middle East. A a different... uh, prophetic passage that perhaps you have never considered before. That is, the Bible tells us, predicts to us, that in the last days after Israel is regathered as a nation, which by the way is one of the biggest prophetic signs that we are in the last days, that Israel came together as a nation and what a miracle of God and what an attestation to the promises of God and the reliability of God's Word. But it predicts that in the last days that the nations surrounding Israel, these these certain particular nations, these certain particular nations would hate them and want to annihilate them. Literally take them off the map. And so what we are seeing literally before our eyes played out in the headlines every single day is exactly what the Word of God tells us and I will, I will show you that in a moment. But first of all, I want you to see a video of exactly what these people are saying, of exactly how they feel. Listen about Israel, but listen about you. These victims... These people that we're supposed to be making peace with. I want you to hear from them. This is their sermons before they attacked Israel in their own words. Take a look. We have lost the ability to identify evil and here we have leaders letting these people into our country here we have leaders wanting to have conversations you cannot have conversations with that they have made their intentions clear i know i'm somewhat speaking to the choir in that but 
that's not what you hear in the news every day, is it? Nothing but lies, yeah. We'll take a look at Psalm 83. Psalm 83, right in the middle of your Bible. Find it. It'll be all right. Jeez. This is what God's Word says. This is a prophetic passage, again, about certain nations that will have certain attitudes and want to have certain actions towards Israel in the last days. Now, having said that, let me say this. this. This conflict or these actions and these attitudes are not Gog and Magog. And I've talked to you about Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But listen, this comes before Gog and Magog and this sets up Gog and Magog. And one of the things that we see even now in the conflict that is happening now, Russia and Iran are definitely in the mix one of them that hasn't been in the mix is Turkey, which is part of Gog and Magog. But yesterday, Turkey threw in their hat. But let's read what this says. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabal and Ammon and Amalek and Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre and Ashur has also joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. That's exactly what they just said, right? Now let me tell you, who this is today. That is Edom and Moab is Jordan, including the West Bank. And the Hagrites, that's Jordan and Syria. It was kind of on the, the line of those two countries. And then Gabal, that's Lebanon. That's Hezbollah, Ammon is Syria, and Amalek, that's Armenia. And so we know that the, there's a conflict happening right now between Armenia and Azerbaijan, right? And we know Russia is behind all of that. It feeds into the conflict with Israel. Philistia, that's the Gaza Strip. That's Hamas. 
and Ashur, that's, that's Iraq. And of course, we've had American soldiers already injured in Syria and Iraq in this conflict. The Bible predicts directly what we are seeing right now, right before our eyes. But listen, we don't look for the Antichrist, we look for Jesus Christ. And, and so when we see the Word of God confirmed, we should have great confidence in the promises of God. The Word is so reliable, so mocked, but the mockers are always proven wrong. Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John, we're in a series on 1 John. It's easy to find. If you open your Bible from the back, the last book is Revelation. And if you turn in, it goes Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. That's where you want to be. Our text this morning is 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 11 is where we're at in our study. And the title of our message is The Imperative of Love. The imperative of love. Now John has been unfolding for us or pressing into us the issue of uh, how can we be sure? How can we be sure of the genuineness of our fellowship with God? You know, how, how can we know and well, we can't trust our feelings because our feelings can change with a, you know, a bad piece of pizza or the country song on the radio. We can't put trust in that. We, we can't put trust in the words of man. I mean, we see this throughout the Bible where there were always these false prophets giving false assurance to the people of God. That is, what they needed most, what was most urgent in the hour was for the people of God to repent, to quit playing games with God, to quit having one foot in and one foot out, to quit saying with their lips that they love God and everything about their life was about themselves. Their only hope was repentance. But the false prophets came along and just said, eh, it's cool. It's good. You know, it's all going to be fine. This will calm down. And they would speak peace, peace. And there was no peace. And so the question comes, how, how can we know? You know, how, how can we be sure that, you know, I, I am truly in fellowship with God? Well, in answering that, John begins to point us to different tests so that we can know, so that we can be sure that there's actually evidence that we can look at. And so he told us last week, he, he gave us 
First of all, the test of obedience. Take a look again with me at verse 3 and 1 John. I'm always the last one to get there just to give you time. I'm not there yet. Verse 3, we remember, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. So listen, if I know Him, I will obey Him. Verse 4 adds, Whoever says, I know Him, but, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And so, when it comes to knowing, I, I can't believe or put trust in what I'm saying because I might be deceiving myself. But if I am obeying his commands, then, then I can know, then I can look and say, I am in genuine fellowship with him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps His Word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And so the second test that John says we should look at to see to know for sure that we're in fellowship with God is to look and say, is God's love being perfected in me? Am I maturing in the love of God? Is the fruit of God's love increasing in my life? Well, that brings us up to our text today, and we'll pick up here in verses, verse 7, and we'll read through the whole text, verses 7 through 11, and then we'll come back and we'll unpack the passage in detail. John says this, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We'll take a look at verse 7 again. He, he begins again, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Now, I'm amazed at man's capacity to write new commandments. Doesn't it seem like we are always coming up with new rules and regulations and restrictions and it's amazing to me that the more lawless our society becomes the more laws that we pass. 
And yet it hasn't always been that way. That is, listen, God originally just gave us ten commandments. But over time, the people of God began to take those Ten Commandments and they began to add to it. They began to expand it. And so the Jews took those two commandments and they came up with with what was called the Mishnah. And they took the Ten Commandments and they made it into 613 commandments. And then a little bit more time went by and they developed what is called the Talmud and that's what they operate from today. And the Talmud is made up of 67 volumes of commandments. And so that's man's ability to to be so wise, to complicate things and yet God is so simple even more amazing is that Jesus comes along and listen he he doesn't add he actually takes God's ten and reduces it to two Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verses 34 through 40 is what we'll take a look at. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, (laughs) there's a guy for laws, right? Asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend what? All the law and prophets. And so Jesus says, listen, the the, the whole law The whole thing, the the whole book is summed up in love. He says, love God supremely with all your heart, with all your soul, with with all your mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so interestingly enough, you know, if we love God supremely, then that takes care of the first tablet of the law because on that first tablet of the law, that all deals with our love for God for things like, you know, you shall have no other God before me. And if we 
love others, that deals with the second tablet of the law because all those laws deal with our relationship with other people. You know, don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness. And so Jesus takes all the complexities that we like to bring to the table, all our loopholes and excuses, and He sums it up in love. Simple. We like to make it complicated because then we can cover our sin, right? That's, that's all that that's about. Try to make it gray. Romans 13.8, Paul concurs. It says on the screen, take a look. Oh, no one, oh, oh, nothing to anyone except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We'll turn back to 1 John. Chapter 2, verse 7 again. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And so John says here in verse 7, I'm writing you no new commandment. And then in verse 8 he says, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Wait a minute, John. <laughs> what, what, what are you saying? That, <laughs> that kind of sounds like a contradiction to me. And so the question is, is well, what does he mean? Well, first off, we need to understand when we look at the Greek word for new here, it is not saying, it does not refer to new in the sense of time. It, ref it refers to new in the sense of fresh in quality, fresh in kind. And so we've kind of already spoke into this and said that, you know, the original commandment of God, the simplicity of God just wanting a love relationship with us and, and having us love one another had been made complex. We, the, the, the people had bogged it down with all of man's traditions, which we do all the time. And so it lost its meaning. And so Jesus takes that which is old and He speaks it in a fresh way. Now it was a new commandment and Jesus spoke it in a fresh way in at least three ways as we look at Scripture. There are perhaps more, but there are three that I thought about. 
And one of the ways that Jesus spoke love in a fresh way is that he personified love in a way that had never been seen before. And he most vividly declared that, he most vividly revealed that on the cross. Romans 5.8 tells us, take a look on the screen, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The amazing love of God. You know, we, we didn't clean up our act first. We weren't deserving. We, we loved ourselves and we hated Him. And He loved us anyway. A second way that Jesus spoke this new commandment or spoke it in a fresh way is, is this love is now in us. That God has put His love in us. That it's now energized within us by the Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 8 again here. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and what? In you. Romans 5.5 5 declares this. Take a look on the screen. And hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. A third way that this is a new commandment or Jesus spoke this in a fresh way is that Jesus actually raised the standard of love. He, he, he lifted it to a, a higher level. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 13. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 31. John 13, verse 31. When He had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself, him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love 
one another. Now, a person might say, well, you know, <clears throat> I, I hate myself and, you know, therefore I, I, I hate other people, you know, because pastor, you know, the Bible says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, listen, I, I hate myself, so, you know, I can hate others. I, don't, I can't love anybody else. I don't love myself. Don't you understand, pastor? Well, I've heard it many times. And so there are always those who are looking for loopholes, who are looking to excuse themselves from the simplicity and clarity of God's Word. And yet, I would say two things to that. And the first is that the person that says that they hate themselves is that is not true. The Bible tells me it is not true. For example, you may have a person who is looking in the mirror and they and they say to myself to say to themselves, you know, I, I am so ugly, I, I hate myself. Well, it's not true. It's not true at all. Because if you genuinely hated yourself, instead you would look in the mirror and you would say, I'm so happy. I'm so glad that I'm so ugly because I hate myself. And so the Bible very clearly reveals to us in Ephesians 5.29 the truth that no man hates his own flesh. But even regardless of all of that, listen, Jesus plugs that loophole. <laughs> he does away with it. So take a look at verse 34 there again, in case you missed it. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, what? Just as I have loved you, <laughs> you are also to love one another. No loophole there. We are to love like He loves us. We'll turn back First John chapter 2. Verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so listen, Jesus came to dispel the darkness. He came to be the light of the world. He came to bring truth. And his message was do do we remember? Take a look at chapter 1, verse 5. Or, yeah, verse 5. Take a look with me. This is the message we have heard from Him, that is Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, 
and in Him is no darkness at all. And so what we see here is that the Apostle John is weaving together two concepts and and he is showing us to walk in the light is the same as to walk in love. He continues. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still... In darkness. Well, how can I know if my relationship is genuine? How, how can I know for sure I'm in fellowship with God? Well, I can't really trust in what I'm saying because I might be saying all the right things. I can't really trust what I'm saying to myself and saying to other people because listen, here is the problem. We learn how to say the right things. Don't we, church? And so then the added problem with that is this. By virtue of us saying the right things, we actually... deceive ourselves. And so John says, God says, friends, it isn't what you say. It is what you do. And so if you say that you are in the light, and that's, that's wonderful. That is amazing. That is great. But if you hate your brother, you're... It's just talk. You're, you're fooling yourself. You're still in darkness. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And so, John now gives us another test of how I can know that I truly am in fellowship with God. How can I be sure that I'm I have a genuine relationship with God. How can I know that me and God are solid, that we're good? What, what's the evidence I can look for? Not what I say, not what I think. The evidence that John says to look for is, do I genuinely love my brother and sister? Do I love my fellow Christians. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so John here is speaking of a spiritual darkness. He's talking about a mental darkness that you are blinded to the truth. I mean, it's easy to think. <laughs> it would be easy to follow Jesus if it wasn't for Christians. And many, many Christians are living, hear me, friends, like the walking wounded, crippled by the scars inflicted upon them by other Christians. But, but, but hear me, let this stand in your heart. The test that John gives to us, even in light of that, still stands. If I do not have love for my brother, I have no real claim to a genuine love for God. Period. Now I'm going to throw in a quick caveat here and I don't have time to develop it today. You know, love doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries with some people. Some of y'all need boundaries. I said that in love. It doesn't mean that you easily trust someone that hurts you. You know, trust is earned. It doesn't mean that you people please everybody. That some people think that's what it means to be a Christian and loving. You just get you know you're a doormat for everybody. No, we we love in wisdom and truth. But having said that, listen, hate is a trap of Satan, and when you harbor hurt, you take his bait. And living in unforgiveness is living in darkness. And you're blind. You don't know where you're going. And the amazing thing is, is you think that you're all right. You're telling yourself, you let it go, you're good. I'm fine. And that's not the reality. That's not the fruit of your attitude. It's not the fruit of your life. It's not the fruit of your relationship with God. 
people push back against this and they'll, they'll say to me, well, you know, pastor, you, you don't know what they did to me. And people choose darkness. That's what that statement does. I'm choosing darkness. I don't care what God says. I'm choosing darkness. Now when someone says that to me, my, my heart breaks and, and, and so does the heart of God. My, my heart breaks because I know they've been deeply hurt. And I wouldn't want to minimize that in the least. But I also know that in that moment they're in, in that pain that they're in, that they are failing to see that it, it is also their sin that put the stripes on Jesus' back. It is also their sin that pierced His hands and feet. It is also their sin that beat Him and betrayed Him. And so I, I can forgive much because I have been forgiven much. Luke 17.1 tells us that many offenses will come. <laughs> Yay. Expect it. And unfortunately, often those offenses come from other Christians. And often they hurt more because we expect better, right? And I will share this with you. I understand the deception of this kind of hurt. Because I have been the walking wounded. My greatest scars are from my brothers and sisters. And I have had to learn how to process that with the Lord. And I know how easy it is to cover hurt to rationalize bitterness. I know how easy it is to talk to yourself. And I've had to come to the point um, for sure the Holy Spirit getting me to the point That you know what, you know, I'm saying all the right things. I'm smiling at people. I'm saying I let it go. I'm saying I, I love this person. It's not true. And I've had to admit I hate them. I hate them for what they did to me, and here's the harder one, for what they did to my family. I 
So then now once I'm finally there, because that's an ugly thing, that's something I do not want to admit to myself, especially as a pastor. I have to bring all of that to Jesus. And I have to lay all of that at His feet and surrender to Him and and talk with Him about it. And so listen, I bring it to Jesus. And I say, Lord, Lord, You take up my cause. You know, I don't know the right thing to do. You, you do what is right. You do your will. You know, my ideas are never good. And Lord, you know what they said. You know what they did. I surrender it to you. Lord, I, I, I'm bringing my offenses. I'm, I'm bringing my offenders. I'm, I, I'm letting you take care of it. I'm letting go of it. I am choosing to forgive them, Lord. Because I recognize, listen, their sins aren't more gross than my sins. That'll help. And you have forgiven me much. And so I know I can forgive. I'm choosing to forgive them. And so, Lord, I, I'm just putting it in your hands, but Lord, help me, you know, help me to release it. Heal me, Lord. It, it hurts. It hurts. And fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord, with your love. Fill me with your love so that your love overflows out of my life and genuinely loves the people around me. And so listen, I go through that process until I do not feel a twinge anymore in my heart when I see that person or you speak their name. And sometimes that can be a long time especially if the hurt is deep. And sometimes, guess what? I still have some people in my life that have been there for decades. They still, every interaction, I have to bring it all up and I have to process it again. But when I do, when I take it to the Lord and I surrender it to Him, listen, His Spirit takes over. And His love is poured into me and His joy and His peace and His freedom flows and I experience His life and, and, and His love and, and ultimately that full healing comes. Trust me, if you will just keep bringing it to Jesus. There'll be a time where you won't even feel a twinge anymore. But in the meantime, you'll experience total freedom. Listen, I, you, I can't protect you from that offense coming again. I can't affect it from another offense coming at you to 
you know, take the scab off that offense because that's what Satan does, right? He wants to put you back into his trap. What I'm saying is that there is a power that is greater. There is a love that is greater. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. The love of God has been poured into your hearts and it is greater than any offense that comes at you. And so release it. What a beautiful thing, friends. It is to walk in the light. What a glorious thing it is to walk in love. What a beautiful picture of the life that we can have. What a beautiful picture of the place that we can be if we allow the Holy Spirit to just do His complete work within us. To not walk in our own strength. To not talk to ourselves. Talk to Jesus. Don't talk to yourself. Yourself is dumb. <laughs> let, let Jesus do His thing. His thing is so good. So good. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.